Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janus Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janus Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Your money in May and whether stocks are about to take a new leg higher. We debate that with our investment committee. Get their best plays right now as well. Joining me for the hour today, Tiffany McGee is the CEO and CIO at Pivotal Advisors. Steve Weiss, Jim Leventhal, Joe Terranova rounding out the four today. It's good to see everybody. Go to the wall. Let's take a look at where stocks are right now. Everything's green except for the NASDAQ dip red by about one third of one percent. Most of the critical earnings are now over. Most of them above expectations, too. I'm starting to wonder what the next catalyst is going to be, Jim Labenthal, because one of the big stories now, earnings great, stock reaction not great. What's up? Yeah, well, I think you got to respect the price action last week, Scott. And, you know, we talked about it last week, and, and you're bringing it up now. It was, frankly, not good. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it was certainly meh. It was tepid after blowout earnings from tech. So we're certainly not getting a catalyst from uh, tech earnings. Now, you do have a bunch of industrials and energy names reporting this week. I think they're going to be good, but honestly, I'm not expecting uh, a strong market response. I don't think this is fatal, though, Scott. I don't think this is something where you've got to do that sell in May thing that I absolutely hate. I hate that adage. I don't think it's useful at all. Um, I think at worst, what you've got is a sideways consolidation period here. Um, But you get into the summer and you get a little bit more clarity on taxes for next year as those negotiations go on. And you may hate my saying this, Scott, but even though Jay Powell was very crystal clear last week, I still think the market doesn't believe him. And over the summer, if he's going to start talking about tapering, that would be the time to do it. So maybe if he doesn't, then the market gets a little bit more wind in its sails, all of which says throw out that adage of sell in May. It's a useless adage, it is. especially well, when you've got as much going on this year. Just go by history's sake. I mean, in the last eight years, the major averages have only fallen one time in, in May. And that was in 2019. So Yeah, look at last year. Yeah. Look at last year. If you sold in May last year, you missed out big time. Well, I mean, come on. Uh, I mean, the cavalry came to the rescue that, along with the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines. I mean, let's, you know, okay. He doesn't make it less real. I hear you. Asterisk, though, in in 2020. Uh, Steve Weiss, where does this leave us now? Best month for stocks since November. As I said to Jim, earnings, I mean, you you can't find anything wrong with earnings. I said 87% of companies have beaten expectations. But since earnings season started, stock market's done next to nothing. Well, look, I, I think what we've got now is a period of digestion. And that's typical after earnings. Nobody had been expecting that earnings were going to disappoint. Everybody was very enthusiastic, so they positioned ahead of it. Now, I can't tell you that I wasn't surprised, along with the rest of the world, that Amazon actually closed lower on the day Friday after what can only be termed a phenomenal record-breaking quarter. So it's period digestion. We're still looking forward in terms of deciding how to get invested in terms of the general market 
based upon what Jim Labenthal pointed out, the Fed. So you have Lee Koopman with his interview, you have Buffett, you have Munger, all calling out saying, hey, inflation is going to pick up. Nobody sees it as transitory except Yellen and Powell and his colleagues on the Fed. And I think that's the issue. Now, going into that, we've got some modest numbers today in terms of economic reports. But it's going to be a big number that we're looking at on Friday in terms of payrolls. A million right now is the baseline narrative. If we see much more than that or much below that, then you could see some action mark one way or the other. But with the insatiable appetite that foreign countries have, sovereigns and businesses, for U.S. 10-year and other bonds up and down, as we've seen in the auction, as long as rates stay under control in terms of yields, not Fed rates, you'll get confirmation in the market. And I think the market moves up. But you can see it trade down. What's more important is where you are in the market. And despite where the VIX is, that belies what's actually happening in the rotation. Well, hold on a so second. I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to stop. I'm, gonna, I'm sorry. I'm going to stop you right okay. there. You said it depends where you yep. are in the market, right? That, that's everything. You lowered your tech exposure. Yep. You trimmed Micron. Okay, tell me why. I did. I did. Yeah, so I went to Micron as a trade, and it, it sort of didn't work out. So I cut it back. I still think it's cheap, but, you know, I'm looking to increase, which I've been steadily doing over the last six months, a year, into the cyclical exposure. So as I mentioned on the show on Friday, I increased my position in Atcor. Look at that stock today. Phenomenal quarter. It was also weak. Well, basically flatlining after the quarter. That's a cheap stock. I increased Lindell Basel, which is LYB. They had an excellent quarter as well, but the stock actually traded down on it. So I think those stocks are more likely to do well, given that they're selling at like 10 to 12 times earnings okay. and lower in some cases than some high-flying tech stocks. So Tiff, tell me how you view the markets as we enter May. I'm reading a headline right in front of me. Governor Cuomo announces the elimination of state-mandated capacity restrictions in New York on May 19th. So we're going open, right? We're, 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 we're to the point now where we're going full throttle open in the next few weeks. The economy is going to continue to recover. The stock market clearly knows all this already. So what's the next catalyst to take our viewers' money higher. Yeah, you know, we, we are in uh, about to be in full reopen mode. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, stock fundamentals are extremely strong right now. You know, in terms of earnings, 87% above expectations. Also, consumer spending is strong and consumer spend, excuse me, and consumer uh, savings is strong. So they're going to have money to continue to spend when we get into a more full uh, reopen um, environment. Uh, so, you know what, I'm looking at um, and earlier, you know, we, we were talking about um, the market, uh, how how um, uh, how strong earnings are. But then that link to um, to uh, markets. Right. So I think we have to pay attention to investor reactions. It's not just the good news, but how are investors looking at this and how are they reacting? So, you know, I'm not selling in May. I'm actually buying and I'm looking at two things. Um, number one is opportunities to buy the things that I love that are on sale. Right. That's just very, very clear. Number two, um, I'm also <laughs> buying the stories. 
Of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, number two, I'm also buying the stories that people are not paying attention to, right? So again, we're still in this stock picker's environment. There is definitely opportunity there, and you can't paint all this in terms of, um, like, for instance, like, like broad brushes, like industry and things like that. It's not the pure plays, um, but it's also, but it's really really um, the larger themes that, that I'm paying attention to and looking for those opportunities within those select opportunities within those larger themes. Okay. So, Joe, I, I look at what's happening with your Joe T ETF, which to me tells a really interesting story here. As you rebalance, right, you've got a lot mm -hmm. of stocks that have been sold of the growth variety, Salesforce and Visa. I'll, I'll put that in there. Netflix, Electronic Arts, Okay, you've got some staples like P&G, et cetera, but you are rebalancing, I would say, more heavily tilted towards value and cyclical stocks. Absolutely, without question. Uh, financials, the largest sector increase in the most recent reconstitution, which happened on Friday's close. You asked before, what's the catalyst for the market? Looking forward, we are past earnings. We understand there's an economic recovery. I suspect the next move in the market, where flows of capital will shift, are related to global COVID trends. What does that mean? That means the pause in appreciation that we experience for Treasury yields, well, that's going to resume back higher. I think yields will move higher. It's a cyclical orientation, once again, longer duration assets, in which Stephen's probably correct to move away from technology, they're going to struggle. And ultimately, Scott, understand the positioning of the S&P 500. We now sit 14.5% above the 200-day moving average, 7.5% above the 100, and nearly 5% of the 50-day. So a pause or certainly a correction is something that the market is thirsting for. But I think in this continued reflation and rotation, which has been the story of 2021, yeah. it's now time to go back to the cyclical okay. orientation, financials, industrials, and energy. Jim, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that we are going to be bombarded with great news for the next, I don't know, however many weeks. Six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, whatever, of great economic news. The reopen's great. The recovery's great. People are traveling. People are eating out. People are doing this. GDP's off the charts. You know, okay, rates may go up, but I don't know who thinks they're going to go off the charts them, th themselves. The market's going to have a correction in the face of all of that good news? Even if it's, a lot of it's known? I don't think it's We're gonna still going to have a correction in the face of all yeah. that positive feeling? I think your argument makes sense. Um, I don't think we're going to have a correction. Now, plenty of people will say that we're overdue for a correction, but that's another meaningless statement. And it's, it's more meaningless when you consider the power of the Fed. Um, the, the liquidity in the market, low interest rates, even at these levels, have stopped any correction for the past 14 months dead in its track. I mean, if you blink, you missed when we were down 9% in September and again in October. And I mean, it was, it was for one day and it bounced right off. That's not really a correction. We haven't been down 5%, I don't think, this year. I might be wrong on that. When you go back to what I was saying at the top about this lackluster price action, I want to repeat, none, none of this is fatal. I think what you're looking at here is that we're going to be sideways and we're going to be kind of bored for the next few weeks. Um, the one thing that I think will move the market one way or the other is the Fed. I mean, for years now, I mean, going back to the great financial crisis, we have learned again and again the power of the Fed. 
If the Fed convinces the market that it's on hold for longer than the market thinks, then we're going to see a rally. Uh, if, I on the know. other hand, the I, I Fed says no. Right? I mean, how many times? Didn't we learn our lesson already? I think already? so, Scott. Some of the same voices, by the way, who were out there in 08 and 09 saying, oh, my God, you're going to have runaway inflation because what the Fed is doing and we're printing all this money. And the government's come to the rescue. I'm still waiting for that to happen. And now you get the same voices coming out again, talking about inflation being here to stay. And, oh, the Fed doesn't know what it's talking about. How can you call this transitory or temporary? Did we already learn sure our lesson when the Fed here. is engaged to the level that it is, not to mention with the many trillions it's, uh, it's of dollars got, coming out of the Treasury, that you sort of I, avoid I, that? I feel like I feel like you're. I feel like you're violently agreeing with me. So maybe I wasn't clear before. Right now, the default is that the Fed is going to keep accommodating, uh, accommodating the market. That Jay Powell couldn't have been clearer. Yeah, last week, yeah. right? The yeah. market doesn't believe it. You look at the Fed funds futures market. It says we don't believe you. You know who's likely to be right in that condition is Jay Powell. And, uh, you know, when the market wises up to that, which I, don't, I think it's going to take a few weeks, OK, maybe even a couple of months. But when the market does wise up to that, I think that's when the market goes higher. Well, to to the point that Joe made uh, earlier as well, Tom Lee, 100000 uh, percent agrees with with where Joe is. Economic activity accelerated in May, plus the covid retreats that we've all talked about equals a cyclical trade resurging higher. Right, Steve? I mean, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Tom Lee's been right. Is he going to be right again? I think he is. And uh, if you're always bullish, you're going to be right 90% of the time. So, look, I do think it is sickle trade, as I, as I mentioned before. And I did add to financials also, as I mentioned last week. Uh, I wouldn't say they've all been left behind, but they've not mirrored what we've seen in some of these high-flying tech stocks. So you want to be there. But here's why I believe it's going to be different in terms of inflation. And whether it's sustainable or not, we won't know for a couple of quarters at least, maybe three quarters. So you got to give the Fed. You got to listen to the Fed. But we're, in the, we're on the cusp of a synchronized global economic recovery. We haven't seen that. And we know that supply chains are tight. Uh, we haven't heard that coming from companies in the past when the doomsayers before, who are always bearish, always saying inflation's going to run away. We haven't seen that for years and years and years. We're seeing it now. We haven't seen iron ore at $1,700 or $170. We haven't seen copper at all-time highs. We haven't seen, you know, if you look at the Baltic Dry Index, which I was looking at today, we haven't seen that as high as it is. I don't know. I so can't tell how many times have we said on this show. That it's coming. How many times have we said on this program, and I'm not talking in the last 12 to 15 months, but before that, right. synchronized global recovery or synchronized global growth. We've used it many times because that's been the scenario many times, and yet inflation has not gone through the roof in any of those occasions. So, I, you know. I will agree with you. We, we, we've said it many times in the past. I've said it as well. But we all also, we've said it in response to market questions. Now we're seeing it in response to, look, the world was shut down for a year. And when the door opens, that door is not big enough to accommodate everything that wants to go through it. So what happens? Prices go up. We haven't seen chips be in, in rare, you know, rare commodity where you couldn't get enough of them. We've not seen that. We've always complained too much capacity. 
But that's, so, that's look, precisely so I why think that that's this time we do have inflation. That's precisely why the Fed blew the blew the wall down, right? There is no more door, right? That's so right. everybody can fit through, right? Right? Get prices are going up a little well, bit. Prices aren't even where the the Fed um, wants them to be or is willing to accept them to be, even a little bit hotter than where they want them to be, for a longer period of time than I think the market is is even even thinking about. Let, let's take the conversation a step further. I want to try and figure out how we can make people money in in the next, you know, I don't know, at least a month. And the issue of the fact that the stock market hasn't moved that much since earnings season really got going. Jonathan Krinsky is with us now. He's, of course, the technician with Baycrest, says that's not a good sign. The proof's in the pudding, right? The numbers were great. The commentary's great. Why didn't the stocks move? Yeah, Scott, so that's a great point. And, you know, I think one thing that's really important here is that stocks are not the same as companies, just like the market is not the same as the economy. And if we go back to March of of last year when the market bottom, you know, think of how bad the news was, think of how bad the news was going to continue to get. And yet stocks had already reflected that and and they moved higher from that point. So I think we're in a bit of almost the opposite now. Things are great. You know, they may continue to get a little better even from here on on a fundamental basis on the macro front. But stocks are smarter than that. They've they've priced that in. That's why they've rallied so strongly up into this point. That was part of our, uh, you know, Nirvana call where we thought growth and value is going to kind of um, have this crescendo move or both work together. And that was kind of going to be as good as it gets. And we're seeing, you know, some signs of that now. We've seen some of the speculative long duration parts of the market, like IPOs and SPACs and clean energy. You know, a lot of those areas of the market peaked in in January, February, and a lot of those single names by our work are probably never, or I shouldn't say never, are not going to be back to those peaks for a number of years. Um, and then now we're kind of moving up to scale a little bit. We've had some of the semiconductors report great earnings, but on an equal weight basis, semiconductors are, um, are really break, starting to break down a bit here. So, you know, I think it's, it is, you have to pay attention to the message of the market. You have to pay attention to what the price action of the stocks are telling you. And sometimes that doesn't, necessarily uh, line up with what the companies are, are telling you. Let me ask you this. How how can we declare that this is as good as it gets if we don't even know how good it's going to be? <laughs> you know, we don't know. But again, that's why we that's why we watch the stocks. That's why we watch the market. Um, you know, we're seeing the, the market speaking and, you know, some of these some of these tech names are, are speaking and they're not reacting great to earnings. Now, some of them are, are fine, right? Let's let's give it a little more time. Names like Facebook and Google, even Amazon last Thursday, you know, they haven't really made material weakness off their earnings prints. They're just not rewarding you much um, for those blowout earnings. So I think, you know, you could, you could argue that we don't know enough yet, but I think, you know, when you start looking at some of the semi names, some of the more high growth software names, you know, these are not the type of moves that you would expect from Um, from a new sustained uptrend. Well, I mean, you do have supply issues within the semiconductor space, which is is playing a role as well. Now, the other point of view of Bank of America and Savita Subramanian today writes, we're cautious. Why are we cautious? Well, because nobody else is. Now, maybe there's something to that, although you do feel like people are trying to become a little more cautious. What it was two weeks ago on this show, I went down a list of all of the big names who were growing more cautious, talking about either euphoria is here, it's time to step back, or we're definitely going to have a correction. Was it Tony Dwyer a couple weeks ago was talking about a 10% pullback? But how about this idea of we're cautious because just nobody else is? 
Yeah, you know, sentiment's a funny thing. And, you know, sometimes you have to separate what people are saying and what they're actually doing. And, you know, we don't always love when there's a lot of strategists uh, also calling for a pullback. You know, sometimes that makes it harder to happen, harder for it to happen. But I think if you look at some of the positioning data, some of the transactional indicators, put call ratios, I think I think people are pretty, pretty well invested here. I think there's a bit of complacency. Um, you know, the S&P... We, in our note last week, we talked about how the um, the average trading range is down to around 50 basis points on a 10 day basis for the S and P. That's pretty tight. There's just there's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of fear in in the actual market, um, despite the fact that I think a lot of people are starting to maybe call for a downside. So, from from our perspective, it's more important what people are doing with their money than what they're saying. Um, and I, and and it's our sense that people are pretty fully invested here, so that that's part of the call as well. That I think there could be some um, some unwind to that positioning. Oh, okay, hold your thought for a second. Let me go to Tiffany McGee because she is she's voting with her pocketbook. She's buying Shutterstock, a stock that's up 140 percent in a year. She bought more Estee Lauder, which I think is up more than 70 percent over the past year. So what does that say? Well, I think no. no know, let me go to yeah, Tiffany abs- first. Oh. Sorry, Jonathan, I should have been more clear. Let me go to <laughs> Tiffany, and I'll come back to you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so Scott, you know, I, I said before that I'm looking for opportunities to buy the things that I love that are on sale, uh, and one of those is Estee Lauder, right? And so, you know, I, I understand. You know, they they definitely released earnings, and it was a little uh, they uh, their their makeup sales were down. Um, but skincare was up and it's continued to be up, right? And so, you know, no one's buying makeup right now. They haven't uh, for the past year for the same reason that the only sneaker, excuse me, like the only, uh, the only shoes that I've bought all year have been sneakers, you know, um, because we've, we're at home not doing anything. And so for me, Estee Lauder is one of those staples. It, uh, it's been down for the past couple of days um, and especially on the news on earnings. So, you know, it was an opportunity for me to buy, and I'm very, very excited about that. Uh, all I have to say is Mac Makeup, La Mer, these hero products are just continued to be uh, to, um, to do really well. And they've spent on skincare, they kind of transitioned uh, sp- uh, spending from, from makeup to skincare, which has really served them well. Um, and then the second thing in terms of uh, Shutterstock, this is one of those opportunities that I think people really aren't talking about, right? And so for me, I try to stay away from the stay at home and reopen kind of plays. Um, so does he. <laughs> uh, I try to stay away from these uh, stay at home and, and, and reopen plays. But I do think that Shutterstock is a very interesting story. You know, they're, they're um, you know, they've more than doubled um, you know, uh, the stock has actually more than doubled um, in, the, in the past 12 months. Yeah. Um, and really, like, as the economy reopens, you know, markets are spending um, really on powerful content, right? So creative tools, marketing technology, and really kind of seeking to create these impactful ad campaigns. And these are, you know, the businesses that are spending on these are both large and small. So I do think that's a really good opportunity here. And that's why we bought it. I mean, Shutterstock, it's not an unknown story, clearly. I mean, it's up, as you said, more than 100. It's not 140%. In, in the last year, nor is it on right, love. Now it is, it is 16% off right. of its 52 week high. So there has been an opportunity presented to you. Absolutely, but it's just not one of these things that we're talking about um, all the time, right? So we, we tend to talk about the Amazon, um, you know, uh, even, you know, um, Peloton, Zoom, all of these things, but we're not, I mean, it's definitely known, but I don't think people are paying attention to it. You know, subscribers grew 
46%, right? And subscriber revenue was up 20%. So um, we really like it, and we just don't think it's, it's, it's a crowded situation right now, so it's oh, an opportunity. Okay, so Jonathan Krinsky, I, I go back to you using Tiffany as the perfect example of, you know, maybe there's a broader narrative of underestimating the power of the reopen and the recovery and some stocks have pulled back enough where you have people who say, you know what, even though it was up 140 percent over the last 12 months, there's still a lot more story to be told here. Yeah, I, you know, I think this, this is an example of there's there's always stocks and stories that are going to work. This is not a, you know, a major 07 type top where everything's going down. I think some of the more speculative areas of the market have corrected and they're not bouncing. And, you know, I put a lot of the SPACs, the IPOs, some of the clean tech energy, the fuel cell names. You know, if you look at charts of those, a lot of those dropped 30 to 50% and just haven't done nothing, even as the NASDAQ has come roaring back. Um, I also just want to touch on, you know, she mentioned Estee Lauder. We think that's a consumer staple. We actually have been noticing some of the consumer staples names the more traditional ones, some of the names like Molson Coors and Kraft Heinz and uh, Hershey and Mondelez, some of these names, if you look at the reaction of those to earnings, those have actually, a lot of those have gapped up and had followed through to the upside. So from our work, we think those were probably under-owned. Um, people were more cautious or bearish on those going into earnings. And the reaction tells you that there's there's still money going into those names post-earnings, as opposed to some of the tech names, some of the, some of the more speculative names that we mentioned. Um, people seem to have been overly confident in those in earnings because they knew numbers were good and then subsequently they've sold off. So I think there is a bit of two-way action going on in this market. Um, but I think if you're talking about the S&P 500, if you're talking about the NASDAQ, it's those big tech communications and discretionary names that are going to drive the price action. And to us, those just don't act very good right now. Hmm. All right. Uh, let me, Joe Chernov, you have a quick question for, for Jonathan? I do. Jonathan, I always like to look for anomalies within the market and, and see what the message might be. Over the last five days, the S&P is slightly higher. But when I look at some areas of where investors were re-risking and emerging growth, you're going to see horrible performance. You've got Twilio, DocuSign, uh, Zscaler, CrowdStrike, all down between 5 and 7%. Even to Scott's point before, look at the performance of AMD after earnings. It's down 5% in the last five days. Do I just ignore that? Do I buy the underperformance? What's the message in that anomaly? No, no, that's a great point, Joe. It's We've been noticing quality. Investors have been going up the quality scale. And a lot of those, you know, those kind of core stay-at-home names that did so well last year, you know, those have not recovered after their correction from February and March. And to us, you know, it's always a question when something pulls back, is that an opportunity or is that is that showing signs of, of further downside? And it's kind of getting to the point where it's to, to us, some of those pure stay-at-home names like, like a Peloton, like a Teladoc, like a Zoom, you know, they've had their chance to kind of reassert themselves in the, in the rally. And the fact that they haven't tells us, you know, we would probably be avoiding those. Um, but it, it's clear that investors are going up the up the quality spectrum a bit over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Jonathan, we appreciate it as always. Enjoy the conversation. Jonathan Krinsky of Baycrest. Consumer staples, they're the worst performing sector this year. Now, one stock in that space got a double downgrade today called dead money at best. We have to see if it's in your portfolio. We'll tell you next. And as a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back on the half right after this. What does it mean to be rich? 
Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. Uh, we are showing you shares of Twitter, which are off the worst levels of the day. Pretty good looking spike, though not quite enough to take it positive yet. There's a Bloomberg report that says Elliott Management, Paul Singer's Elliott Management, was said to buy over $200 million worth of Twitter shares on the pullback in that stock. What's interesting to note as well is that ARK Invest, Kathy Wood, bought more Twitter late last week, 1.3 million shares on the pullback. So a couple of big names buying Twitter on the dip. You can see shares are still down 1% on news of of that report now. Um, What's interesting, Joe, is that not that much ownership on this show. The talk, I guess you call it, of Twitter not doing well in, you know, in the aftermath of President Trump leaving office You know, I'm not sure what you make of the fact that Kathy Woods bought a lot more on the dip and now Elliot's Paul Singer has bought a lot. And I also obviously, given the fact that he is a well-known activist investor, um, what then happens next in this story? I think the buy from Elliot management is far more uh, important. Uh, To your point, the fact that Paul is a very successful activist, what does that mean? for the board? What does that mean for the future growth of Twitter uh, as it relates to the platform? Are we going to be introducing some form of content uh, in which those that contribute are actually being paid for their contribution? So I think it's clear that uh, somewhat of the toxic culture that exists on Twitter needs to be cleaned up as we move forward. Uh, And I think a lot of uh, Paul's representation here in buying the stock might be focusing Uh, most on the fundamentals, the policies, and the way it aligns itself with a lot of positive contribution for social media moving forward. It's worth noting, I mean, this is not a new uh, position from Elliot in in Twitter either, Steve Weiss. And we've been reporting on on what Elliot wanted to do uh, for the better part of more than a year. They have a seat on the board as well. So this is just buying more on the dip, taking advantage of a pullback. Um, But you put Kathy Wood and Paul Singer you know, together, who clearly think that there's an opportunity and a story to be told. You know, the stock pulled back late last week on earnings. I had mentioned, you know, um, the interview that Ned Siegel did on Squawk Box following the pullback in the stock, I just didn't think gave investors all that much to, to work with. How do you view this story moving forward now with the context of Paul Singer buying more and Kathy Wood buying more? Well, like Joe, I put more on Paul Singer, and, and the person that runs his activist form in technology, Jesse Cohn, 
I've made a lot of money following. He's got a lot of companies sold. There's speculation that Akamai will be sold as well because they are there. In terms of Twitter, I put less on Kathy Wood because if you look at her at her trading each day, she could be there now. Stock could run 20 percent. She could be out completely. So it's not a long term. And I agree with you on on Ned's interview. It left it left me less than motivated to get involved. And I was willing to buy the dip. He also discounted the fact that that Trump leaving had hurt them because they picked up so many more users. But Joe hit the nail on the head. They need to get content there to compete with TikTok, to compete with Instagram, and they don't. So it seems like the world is passing them by, and they got to get it on their horse. And I'm comfortable Jesse Cohn could help them get there, but hasn't yet. Well, there was that report, speaking of what, what's next, that they may have been in the market for Clubhouse. And I, I can't remember. It was like 3 or $4 billion, I think, was the number yeah. that, that was, was right. thrown out there. They have Twitter spaces. So, you know, they're at least thinking about what the future is going to look like. We'll continue to follow the story. Uh, what's that? Okay. Thank you. All right. Up next, the big ETFs to watch today. Plus, do not miss the CNBC Small Business Playbook. That's tomorrow. You can join some of the most trusted voices in business to provide critical advice to help owners overcome extraordinary obstacles and stage a comeback. You can check out the full lineup. You can register at cnbcevents.com slash playbook. We're back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. Some major travel and tourism groups are urging the U.S. and Britain to fully reopen air travel between the two countries. In a letter to President Biden and Prime Minister Johnson, travel industry leaders say that many restrictions can safely be dropped to help tourism and business travel rebound. German prosecutors say they have busted one of the world's largest darknet platforms for child pornography. They say the sites have more than 400,000 registered members worldwide. Moderna says that it will provide up to 500 million doses of its coronavirus vaccine to the United Nations. They'll go to the COVAX program, which is sending vaccines to developing nations. Moderna's deliveries are set to start in the last three months of this year. And the head of the World Health Organization says that the COVAX program needs 35 to $45 billion next year 
And Scott, that's just to vaccinate adults. I'll send it back to you. Thanks for help. All right, now to Bob Fazzani. He has today's ETF edge. Hey, Bob. Hello, Scott. Good to see you. There's been huge inflows into ETFs this year, and especially in May. One sector continuing with record inflows, ESG. Another record quarter, another record month, and they're headed for another record year. Joining us to discuss is the man who runs the biggest ETF family in the world and the biggest ESG suite of products. He's Armando Senri. He's the head of BlackRock's iShares Americas. Armando, you launched your newest ESG fund, Carbon Transition Readiness ETF, for companies with a preference for lower carbon emissions. You just did that two weeks ago. You've already got $1.3 billion in assets. Has climate change now become the wheel that is steering the ESG ship? What's motivating ESG inflows? Yes. Hi, Bob. Uh, great to be here. Um, like you said, I think that, first of all, I would say that for investors, climate is top of mind. As you know, it's a priority for BlackRock to build more products to allow investors to incorporate uh, climate into their sustainable views in the portfolios. In the case of the low carbon transition suite of products, you mentioned LCTU. We actually launched two LCTD, uh, which is international, and LCTU, which is in the US. Both of them close to $2 billion in assets, uh, largest active ETF launch ever. Um, and I think that the, the reason that product is exciting is because we work with, um, we partner with some of the most sophisticated um, investors in the world. I know you had Chris Elman from Calsters uh, a couple of weeks ago when we did the launch. They participated in this offering. Um, and that's a way for investors to get exposure in the case of LCTU to the Russell 1000, but with 50% lower carbon um, emissions in the portfolio, in the overall portfolio. Uh, so very exciting product range. And like you said, uh, we just crossed $100 billion in assets overall in sustainable ETFs at BlackRock. And one of the areas that we believe the category will grow to a trillion dollars by 2030. Yeah. I'm amazed that there is such a strong interest from a new class of investors that are driving interest in climate change. But I can't help but noticing the top holdings in the carbon fund, they're all mega cap tech names, which we see all the time in ESG funds. Apple, Microsoft, Apple, Alphabet, Amazon, Facebook. Those are the top holdings. Why do mega cap techs appear in so many ESG holdings? Is there a diversity problem in these top ESG funds? Now, what I would say is that you have to look at sustainable is not the same for all investors. Uh, they, you know, different investors take a different approach to how they want to incorporate sustainable um, in their portfolios. So in the case of the low carbon transition portfolio that we talk about, the LCTU, you are trying to get exposure to the Russell 1000. This portfolio is an active ETF. What we can do is we can overweight and underweight, but again, you know, with a low tracking error, 100 basis points of tracking error, trying to give exposure to the Russell 1000. Uh, but at the same time, the overall portfolio has 50% lower carbon uh, intensity than the Russell 1000. That is the objective. And what we try to do is we double down on education to, again, help investors understand the different um, groups of products that they can choose to incorporate in their portfolios. All right. Thank you, Armando. And now Armando is going to join us for an extended discussion on this topic and other ESG trends, as well as trends in the hottest investments of last year. And that's thematic tech ETFs. Remember clean energy, cloud computing, 3D printing, cybersecurity, hot in 2020, not so hot in 2020 so far. We'll talk about that. Armando will be joined by Sal Bruno, the chief investment officer, Index IQ and Todd Rosenbluth from CFRA. ETFedge.cnbc.com. Don't miss it at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Halftime back right after this.
Welcome back. Wells Fargo today double downgrading Clorox to underweight from overweight. The firm calling the stock, quote, dead money at best. They think more downside is ahead, obviously. It's the worst performing stock in the consumer staples area this year. That group was the worst performing sector so far in 2021. Now, nobody owns Clorox, at least on the panel. If you do and you're watching, we're going to do this through the prism of staples. Jim, you own Walmart, okay? I was shocked when I looked last week, and Walmart hasn't done anything. So what's up with the staples trade? Yep. Well, I, look, I think you can have some staples in your in your portfolio, but it's not the go to sector right now. Uh, Walmart's been consolidating. I'd like to think that it's breaking out. And I look at this more as that just the new, consumers that's the new term for doing nothing? checks that are going to buy. That, that's the new term for doing nothing. That's the new, yeah, that's the that's <laughs> right? the new that's the new and the old term for doing nothing. Well, I mean, because look, the, the, that, the, stock is. Is, the stock in three months, we're but, talking but, Walmart, but, which a lot of people I know do own is up a half percent. Year yeah, to date, can, it's down. I think Over you can the own last Walmart. Year, what? What's that? I think you can. I think you can own Walmart. I think. I think it's wrong to put that in consumer staples because well, I mean, there's staple. growth there, and it's coming from stimulus checks. It's coming from all the people with money in their pockets. So you know, I, I think it's now ready to break out. We'll get earnings in a couple of weeks. Walmart, I'm not worried about. Clorox. I think Clorox has got problems. They, they, they preloaded last year their sales for the last two years. They're going to go down earnings next year over this, and it's trading at a 22 multiple with raw materials going up. That's a bad story, but that's not Walmart. That's okay. not even close. Okay, Joe, you're playing the staples through Monster Beverage, which is interesting. Correct, and that has been clearly the secular growth story over the last couple of years. They continue to diversify the product line, the introduction potentially of hard seltzer at some point. Uh, and, and clearly that's where the momentum is. But I think overall, just as it relates to the staples, whether it's Procter Gamble, whether it's Clorox, as Jimmy said, there was a significant pull forward on the revenue. And now you're in an environment, and this is very critically important to understand, is raw material costs are going to continue to rise. And that is going to impact consumer staples, both domestically and globally. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. Ask Halftime is next, and we have multiple video questions coming up today. Exciting. You can send one in. We'll play it on the air. Ask Halftime at CNBC.com. We're back after this. All right, let's answer your questions. First up, a video question for you, Tiff. My question today is about Netflix. We'll all be streaming less hours, and Netflix will be raising prices. Does that mean we're going to all cancel our accounts? I don't think so. Netflix is going to continue to expand internationally. This should all help slowing domestic growth. What do you guys think about Netflix with a buy-in at a price point of $500? Thanks a lot. Go Lions! (laughs) All right, Rich, what's the answer, Tiff? (laughs) Yeah, so I love the Netflix story. I keep kind of going back to, and Scott, we've talked about this. You know, this is the company that started selling DVDs by mail, right? And so this evolution of them from DVDs by mail to streaming, um, from U.S. content to to, um, global, authentic, local content um, in different countries, um, and from license to, um, you know, original production. I love the story. Netflix's balance sheet is also super strong. They're going to break even on cash flow this year and be positive by 2022. 
Um, I would also, you know, definitely be looking for opportunities to buy Netflix in the dip. But either way, um, I, I think you just have to own this. Okay, thank you for the question and the answer. Steve Weiss, now a video one for you. Hi, everyone. Big fan of the show. I have a quick question for Steve Weiss. What do you think the future holds for Vuzix Corporation, that stock symbol VUZI? Should I hold my gains or should I keep adding at these levels? Thank you so much. Thank you for the question. All right, Weiss, have at it. Vuzi is not in the sweet spot in terms of stocks the market's looking for because of what is a premium valuation. The news flow continues to be extremely positive. There is no competition in the market. Google Glass is like prehistoric compared to Vuzix glasses. So I say you just be patient with it and let the market come back to it as news comes out. They'll report, or report earnings on the 10th. Mm -hmm. Then I think the stock will start to lift again. All right. It's a big winner uh, year to date. Jimmy, finally, Farmer Jim, a video question for you. Hi, guys. This is Sid in Toronto. I have a question for Jim. Should I buy GM in advance of the earnings next week or should I wait or should I consider options? Love the show. Thanks. All right. Thank you for the question. Should I just answer it, I Jim? Said, I mean, should I just answer it? I mean, I know where you're going on no, this, no, right? No, no, no. Can I answer it, Scott? Answer. I know where Buy some going. now. Er, wait, everybody stop. <laughs> Earnings are on Wednesday, okay? So that was from last week, that question. Buy some now, but save some dry powder for after earnings, okay? The earnings are going to be fabulous, but there's going to be some hand-wringing about the chip shortage. Buy some now, but keep some on hold for after earnings. And the options are not the way to play this. This is a long-term investment. Don't get caught up with options that are going to expire, perhaps when you don't want them to. All right. I mean, the risk is doing a Joe Terranova, buy high, sell higher, right? I mean, that could be <laughs> the risk. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> buy some now. All right. Buy now, buy higher. <laughs> Maybe better said. All right. We'll do final trades next. Okay, welcome back. We will do final trades in just a minute. However, Tiffany, I want to talk to you first about FedEx and UPS. You own both. Both were upgraded today at Wolf to outperform. Those are some of the kinds of stocks that have been leading um, today, and they play right into the reopen. Absolutely, yeah. And so for me, I own both of them. Um, this is a play on the significant um, you know, uh, um, um, increase in e-commerce growth in 2020, which I think is really going to continue. So for me, you know, and even like, we can even like look at earnings, you know, UPS had a blowout earnings report, um, you know, for, for these both, you know, pricing power is really kind of driving um, okay. the improved, uh, significantly improved um, margin. So for, for me, you have to own both. Give me a quick, quick name for final trade, please. Uber, they report uh, this week. If, uh, uh. Keep going back to the CEO. If Amazon own next day, owns next day, they want to own next hour. Okay. Farmer Jim, final trade. Viacom CBS. Plus, I put some new books up that are age appropriate for Steve. He didn't like my other books. <laughs> These are more age appropriate for Steve. Plus, for nap time, he's got Goodnight Moon. All right, beautiful. All right, Steve, hurry up. Just a name. Moderna reports Thursday. The clock was against your, your comeback. Joe T. I sold CGen personally and out of the index. All right, good stuff. Thank you. The exchange starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Yeah! 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.